As a driven dentist, you see the world differently. Where some see scarcity, you see abundance. When others want to give up, you keep going. You're building an amazing life of significance. That means you can't rely on ordinary advice from ordinary advisors to get to your goals. You want advice that's going to help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love, the causes you care about, and make your dent in the universe. But the fact is, this advice remains hidden because relatively few professionals are well-versed in them, and the extremely affluent don't care to let you know about them. Join us as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families. Welcome to Dental Wealth Nation. Here's your host, Tim McNeely. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting edition of Dental Wealth Nation. I am so thrilled about the topic today because in your practice, in your life, you're working towards a goal. And we're all going to reach that day, one moment when we decide it's time to exit our practices. I'll reach into my business. You're going to reach in yours. And that's why today is so important. We want to begin with the end in mind. And by the time we finish today, you're going to know why you might want to consider selling your practice, even if you're not considering exiting dentistry, right? You, you heard me right there. You may want to consider selling your practice even if you're not ready to get out. You're going to have a new way of thinking about your dental enterprise, but most importantly of all, you're going to feel excited about your future in dentistry. And I'm so excited to have David Kingsdale today. He's founder of King's Ransom. And what I love about David is he hasn't just helped dentists exit their business. He's also been involved in buying and selling several of his own businesses. So he practices what he preaches. David, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tim. Pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm really excited about it. Thank you. All right. And what an important topic, right? Exit planning, right? Figuring out what transition looks like. And we're going to dive into all that stuff. We're going to talk about terms and dive into new ways of thinking about your dental practice. But give me a little background on, on how you got started, who's King's Ransom, and, and how did you get involved in this world of dentistry? Yeah, it's uh, it's actually an interesting story. So King's Ransom, we are an investment and advisory firm. Uh, based both in LA and uh, New York. Uh, I have two partners. One comes off of Wall Street, big, uh, ran a big hedge fund. The other uh, comes from the venture capital world and has operated several businesses. Um, and uh, as you mentioned, I've operated and bought and sold my own businesses. I started off as a corporate lawyer doing M&A. So uh, we came together uh, both uh, to invest in companies, but also to assist companies uh, in buying and selling uh, their company or, or other companies. Um, we got into the dentistry world by complete accident. Um, we have been, as I said, in doing M&A in different sectors. And we were approached by several dentists here in the LA area who were looking to sell and were approached by dental service organizations. Uh, and we're looking for some business advice and weren't comfortable with Kind of the uh the advice that they were getting um and so we started advising them and we got the dental bug and uh started representing dentists who were interested uh in selling their practice and and educating those that weren't because they really didn't understand why they should and uh, ended up put, putting together a big division of our company to do it wow oh how exciting now now you mentioned these doctors you were working with they weren't really you know sure of the advice that they were getting when they were looking to exit and and, and sell to a, a dental service organization what kind of advice were they getting and, and and what made them uncomfortable about it 
Yeah, I, what what we have found, and it's not all it's not all dentists, of course, but generally speaking, many dentists have been giving have been given poor information about what the true value of their practice potentially is, and it was really by design by the dental service organizations who want to buy practices as cheap as possible, of course. So the word on the street for for all these years has been, hey, we're going to pay you. 0.8 times your collections or four times your profit or EBITDA. Um, and dentists really started believing that. And so many dentists through the last 10 years have sold their practices at, at those kind of valuation metrics. Um, that's really not how practices are sold today. Um, that is way under market. And so a big part of what we need to do is educate the dentists about what the, the real potential value of the practice is, not what they've heard about it is in the past. Okay, let's back up a little and talk a little bit about valuation because you're right. There's so much confusion around that. And how do you value a dental practice? It's not some percentage of collections like we always hear. It really isn't. Um, in today's world, it's a, a multiple of EBITDA or in the, the layman's term, profit. Um, and again, that that multiple of EBITDA is going to be varied by geographic region. Um, I'm here in California and. Uh, the, the multiples tend to be a, a little bit lower than in other parts of the country. And so it, it's really a function of the part of the country, the type of practice, general versus specialty. There's a whole lot of levers and elements involved, as you can imagine. Okay, but, but that's interesting. So you said really the valuation is based on profit or that EBITDA that we hear so much about. And I know a lot of doctors don't necessarily understand that term EBITDA. Could you explain what that actually is for us? Yeah, EBITDA is, uh, means earnings before interest, taxes, and amortization. But at the end of the day, a doctor could really think about it as what is the real profit of the business? And that is taking the collections here and you know subtracting all of the legitimate business expenses. And we all know and, and understand that uh, dentists run a lot of things through their practices, whether it's their automobile or, or whatever else it is. And part of our job is to really kind of figure out what the real business EBITDA or profit is so that we could help the dentists understand what the value of their practice could be in the marketplace. Okay, interesting. So it really is that profit number that that drives the, the valuation. And I see we've got some listeners tuning in. If you've got questions, put them down below. And we've got David here. We're talking about M&A in the, the dental markets. We're talking about exiting your practice, how to value it. So if you've got any questions, just put them down below and we'll answer them live for you. And so, David, can you talk a little bit about some of the key market trends that you see going on and, and what's really influencing what's going on in dental right now? Yeah, we think, um, well, the almighty dollar always kind of dictates, um, you know, the M&A market. Um, and, and so most of these DSOs and virtually all of them that we work with are institutionally backed by private equity firms, Tim. Um, so they're, most of them are well healed um, and the market um, has been very frothy. Uh, up until about 18 months ago, we started seeing a shift. Uh, due to the rise in interest rates that we have all been impacted by. And so the market is still very strong, both for general practices and specialists. Uh, but what we are finding is DSOs are um, a little bit more choosy or picky. Uh, they're not just kind of, you know, buying everything under the sun. They're very, they're very careful uh, because of this cost of capital issue has really affected them in, in various ways. 
Hmm. Oh, interesting. Now, what should a doctor be thinking about, right? We, we opened the show saying, you know, you might want to think about exiting, even if you're not looking to get out of dentistry. Why might that be a case for some of the doctors out there? Well, I think a big part of it is, and, and what we need to understand and, and be good listeners with the, with the dental, with the dentist is um, what are their goals and objectives? You know, um, a 35 year old dentist may have, and probably does has have different goals and objectives than a 60-year-old or 65-year-old, both um, from a financial standpoint and, a, and what we call a cultural standpoint. So the way we view it with the dentist is our job is to figure out what they're looking for from the economics of a transaction. And then since they're going to continue to practice um, and, and basically run their practice on a day-to-day, what kind of organization makes sense for them to continue to be a part of once these deals close? Because they're going to continue to, to practice for however many years going forward. So those are the two kind of elements that we need to really understand what the doctor's looking for. And then our job is to go find the best fit from a DSO standpoint. Okay. And are there advantages or disadvantages to, to working and selling to a DSO over finding another private buyer in the marketplace? Uh, we think so. Um, you know, there's, there's always trade-offs um, that, you know, a DSO that's, backed by private equity typically is going to be able to um, scratch out a much bigger check to a practice than a private buyer uh, who perhaps is a younger dentist usually um, or coming out of school. Uh, That dentist may or may not have his own or her own uh, level of student loans or whatever it is. So um, just from a financial strength standpoint, DSOs, you know, you can kind of, uh, you know, check that box. we also think that what DSOs do and, and what a lot of dentists don't understand is they really take a lot of the headaches off the day-to-day life of the dentist. So once you join a DSO, um, you're going to make a lot of money, but y- your life changes in a sense, not from a clinical level, because most DSOs are not going to interfere with the way you, you practice your, your craft. Um, but it really is, they take off, they take things off your hands, such as billing, collections, insurance, marketing, legal, all the things that really can suck up the time of a dental practice owner, that's now taken off their hands by the DSO. Thus, the dentist can really focus on their craft, and that's what they love doing, working and helping patients. Wow. Okay. So so those are some of the advantages. Is you might get a higher check when you decide to sell to the DSO. You're probably stepping into an organization that can help offload some of the responsibilities and day-to-day management of the practice. What would be some potential downsides for selling to a DSO? Yeah, that's a great question. And at the end of the day, you you know, you do have a new quote unquote boss. Um, you know, the dentist signs a long-term contract, so they're they're very stable, they're not going anywhere. And in fact, the DSO wants the dentist and their teams to stay as long as possible. They're making a big investment. So they're not looking to make any changes typically in the personnel. But at the end of the day, there is someone else that quote unquote owns the practice. And um, that is an emotional thing for a lot of dentists to have to understand and get over. Wow. Okay. And so, right, once again, kind of thinking through this, then maybe a DSO sale makes sense for a, a younger dentist who's looking to possibly take some money off the table, so to speak, and really capitalize on what they've worked so hard for and kind of de-risk, so to speak, some of their their portfolio, because oftentimes the doctor, their biggest source of wealth is their practice. 
Yeah. In fact, we see that uh, typically the biggest source of their wealth is their practice. And the nice thing about these transactions, if structured properly, um, and we feel like we're, 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 we're solid at that and working with the, with the dentist is they can take cash off the table, but there's also a lot of upside going forward. Um, because typically the dentist is going to acquire or earn stock in the DSO itself that, um, if the DSO is run properly and continues to grow at some point, that stock that the dentist is getting in the DSO could be very valuable for the dentist. So we call that kind of the second bite at the Apple, Tim, where they're making a bunch of money today. And then fast forward, you know, three, four five years down the line when they could hopefully sell that stock that they've got in the DSO they're making another big chunk of money. Wow. Okay. Now is there, and who buys that stock when they decide to sell it? Yeah. Uh, great question. So uh, as we mentioned, and as you well know, most of these DSOs are backed by large private equity firms who have um, entered the DSO at an early stage to help them grow. And all of these private equity firms are looking to monetize their investment in the DSO. So they're looking at you know a three, four, five-year cycle to do that. So the idea is it's called a recapitalization, as you know, where the one private equity firm that owns a big part of the DSO will sell their interest to another private equity firm at a much higher valuation than what they invested in. Hmm. And that's what can create that additional value for the, the selling doctor then. Correct. Gotcha. All right. So when you're kind of looking at these things, you know, what role does some pre-planning have or, or, or are there some strategies that you help dentists employ to, to help them actually increase their value to what the DSO is offering? Are there some strategies and tactics you can employ right now to start increasing that valuation? Yeah. Um, you know, the first thing is, is to really, um, you know, tr try to get the most out of, of your office and, and the capabilities. Um, so what we have, we have several um, clients or, or dental practices that have an extra, you know, operatory or two that is not being used. So often what they'll do is they'll, in pre-planning, they'll bring in an associate for a, a certain period of time, you know, to try to build up those collections and that profitability. Um, so that's one thing. And the other thing, again, um, that we talked about is really getting the financials in order because a lot of times what we see is the finances are are not in, in in real good shape so part of what we need to do is sit down with the dentist and their financial representative and start building out a financial model that the dso's are used to seeing um, and then being able to portray the practice in in the best light possible from a profitability standpoint Okay. So there, there, there's some pre-planning that can be done. How far in advance do you recommend someone starts the, this pre-planning? If, you know, if you're thinking, you know, exiting may be on the horizon somewhere, when is too soon to start or is it ever too soon to start? Yeah. I, I, our attitude, it's never too soon to start. And again, I think you have to go back to what we discussed a, a few minutes ago. And that is, you know, what is you know, the age of the dentist? What is their time horizon? Are they, you know, hopefully they're in good health and they have a lot of gas in the tank and they want to continue to practice for another five, 10 years or whatever it is. So, you know, we need to look at the whole landscape and then we can advise the dentist appropriately. But getting discussions going early um, as opposed to later, especially for a dentist that's approaching, you know, late 50s, early 60s, which by no means is old. But DSOs want dentists that have a lot of energy that they're going to have a comfort level. They're going to stick around. 
Um, so, you know, the, the, the sooner those conversations start happening or the sooner the dentist at least starts thinking about that it's a possibility that they can do something like this, the better off they're going to be. Okay. Now, if you are considering this as a, a doctor, how do you recommend you start looking for advisors and, and, and people to help you? Because I know if you go on the internet and you type in, you know, dental practice brokers, there's a lot of choices that come up. So, so how do you start thinking through this? What are some questions we should be asking the potential advisors we're, we're considering working with? How do you recommend a doctor really starts piecing this together so that they're going to get the right team to help them? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it really depends on the needs of, of the, of the doctor. Um, you know, most of the doctors that, that we that we deal with um, really are in need of a soup to nuts advisor. And what I mean by that is um, a, a traditional broker, no disrespect to the brokers, of course, um, is really good at kind of what we call in the industry spray and pray. So they're spraying and praying. They're sending out the financials of the practice. And then, you know, if someone's interested, they send it over to the dentist and then the dentist has to figure out what to do from there. And then the broker's like, I'll see you at the close. We thought, given our M&A backgrounds, that we could provide a much higher level of service to the dentist. And that is, you know, we're entrepreneurs and who've bought and sold businesses. So we understand that part of it. Um, and we can we could certainly empathize with with the dentist who's built the business and maybe looking to exit. Um, and again, being able to provide services where we we help them get ready for the sale. We put their their sales materials together in the proper format. We get their financials in a, in a in a state that the DSO is going to understand very clearly, and then once we understand the type of DSO that would be the right fit, we know who to go to in the marketplace. We bring them to the dentist. We're able to negotiate the deal on behalf of the dentist and help them through the entire due diligence and sales process up until the close. So we're we're a lot of handholding. These are these are you know time-consuming transactions. And what we try to do is take a lot of that time commitment off the dentist's hands and let them continue to focus on their patients. Wow. Okay. Excellent. Now, you know, you mentioned negotiation. Negotiation plays a large role in these transactions, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it really does. Um, and, you know, again, I think because we, you know, we understand the market, we want to be able to provide that service to the dentist. The dentist deserves it. Um, you know, because a lot of dentists that that we end up working with, they've gotten one offer and they think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. But the key is to bring multiple offers to, to the dentist to really kind of drive up this bidding type war for the practice. Um, and there's not a lot, like sometimes their regular lawyer who's maybe doing their estate planning or their regular CPA may not really understand how these transactions could or should be structured. So whether it's us or, or, or any other firm out there, we highly recommend that dentists get the right representation of someone that understands how to do these types of transactions. Okay. Now, when you talk about structuring the, the deal, right? I know a lot of doctors are just thinking, well, I sell the practice and I work back or, or are there other things that are involved in the negotiation and structuring the deal? And, and could you give us a couple examples of, of some of the options a doctor may have that they've never even considered? Yeah. Um, so it's interesting because, um, some DSOs are, are, you know, most of the DSOs want to buy 100% of the practice. And the, and there's different part elements of the compensation that would be involved from the dentist. Definitely cash that they're going to get in their bank account when the deal closes. That cash never gets taken away from them. It's great. 
But there's also things, and, and again, uh, not a new term for you, uh, earnouts, where as long as the dentist continues to perform and let's say keep the collections where they've been, there's more upside, there's more bonuses for cash bonuses for the dentist. Um, the longer the dentist stays, they may be able to earn more stock in the DSO. So there's financial elements that are really important to understand. Um, and, and again, sometimes the other professionals that don't have experience uh, in this area that have worked with the dentist, they may or may not, you know, understand how to structure those. So that's a big part of our job. Interesting. So, right, the, right, the total consideration may be, I don't know, $20 million, but out of that 20, it may be 10 million up front and, you know, a couple million in terms of, of earnouts and then a couple million on the back end. And so they, they really can be structured very differently then. Yeah, they really can. And and also the the amount there and you know to follow on the last month, there are some DSOs that'll buy less than hundred percent of the practice. So, you know, sometimes for a younger dentist, they want to they want to continue to own a, a larger percentage of their own practice. That is possible in the marketplace. There are players in the DSO world that um, have built their businesses and you know under that model. Uh, but the older a dentist gets, what we usually hear is. David, get us, get me the most cash possible at the close, please. That's typically what they want. Okay. I, and then kind of going back to that, that, that pre-planning, are there, are there tax mitigation strategies or things that can be put in place to, to help the doctor really put more money in their pocket on an after-tax basis? And do you get involved in those? Um, we, we are involved, but that's, we're, we're not experts in it. And so we, we tend to work with, um, folks like you, uh, wealth, you know, wealth managers, very, uh, prolific C CPAs. Um, a lot of tax planning is done, you know, pre-market, um, uh, of course, because the tax man driveth much of these deals. Uh, again, I'm telling you nothing, you know, everything, you know, already. Um, but if someone doesn't have a tax professional, we are, you know, we, we tend to be able to refer them appropriately because it's, it's needed. Okay. And so, right, even once again, kind of coming back to the, the market and, and everything that's going on, uh, is there an optimal time or a practice milestone or something doctors can kind of look at that, that really is a, a trigger or something for them to say, hey, now's, now's a good time to maybe consider what my practice is worth and what my exit options look like? Yeah, I mean, again, I think that goes to age of the of the dentist. I think it goes to size of practice. Um, selling the smaller practices is getting um, a little trickier. Again, going back to the environments uh, become a little bit more challenging. So I think DSOs for DSOs bigger is typically better. Um, we're seeing, you know, DSOs are still buying single uh, single doctor practices, sole practitioners. Um, you know, our multi multi dentists and multi office um, practices stronger in the market absolutely so again it's it's really for the dentists we, we need to look at what the landscape is within the dental you know within their own practice you know a practice that's you know doing a, a less than a million dollars is is you know we, we typically don't get involved in those you know just for obvious reasons and, and marketplace reasons mostly but because we want to be helpful to the dentists like we only take on project you know projects or 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 dental practices that we feel really confident that we could do right by the dentist. I mean, that's my partners and I are, you know, as you can see, we're, we're I'm an older guy. And part of what we love doing is giving back to, to, to these dentists. And we all want to make a lot of money. We get that. We're not diminishing that. But 
we've bought and sold businesses and we've had, you know, advisors that have helped us. And this is kind of part of how, you know, we love doing this. This is, this is our, our passion to, to help other people sell their businesses because we've had people help us throughout the years. Yeah, right. And when you go through that process yourself, you, you really bring experience and knowledge that you can't get from just studying these things, right? Being involved, right? Because it's not just financial. There's also a huge emotional component to this also, at least I've found. Do you find that too with a lot of these doctors that there there really is that emotional component that they have to deal with also? 100% Tim. And, and as entrepreneurs, I think you nailed it. It that, you know, for, for me, that was one of the hardest things when I've sold, you know, certainly my first business. And for these dentists, this is their first business and sole business. Um, and sometimes, you know, even though this, this idea of, well, I know I'm going to make a lot of money, but it's not going to be my business anymore. That's, that's, that's very emotional. And it's very, it's very challenging for the dentist. And, and we get that. Yeah. Well, and I know I've known quite a few entrepreneurs. They will sell their business and they'll, you know, have a, you know, 48 month, you know, work back or whatever it is. And it 48 months and one day they're out and, yeah. you know, but, but they're able to leave with significant capital to actually still continue to, to fund their lifestyle. And, and, and that's one thing I always find myself advising on is, you know, let's look at these deals and let's make sense. It, let's make sure it makes sense for you and where you are so that if, you know what, you sell and you hate it, at least you've got enough capital to still continue to support your lifestyle, take care of the people you love and, and continue to really make an impact in the world. So, so you can do this, but, but make sure that you're doing it, you know, in conjunction with the holistic plan so that you're looking at everything. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's a great point. And look, no one's going to bat a thousand in terms of, um, you know, the doctors being happy as part of their new organization. Um, you know, we, we're, hopefully that is the case and they the doctors love working with the dso and they feel supported and they're growing and it's 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 enlightening it's challenging and it's fun but to your point that's not always the case and i'd be naive to say that it is and so it goes back to well let's just make sure the doctor has made plenty of money uh, at the close because if for some reason and we never know what the future holds for some reason the doctors are not happy as part of this new organization they do want to step aside um, they're okay. They're more than okay. Yeah. So, you know, in, in working with doctors, are there some, you know, common misconceptions that you come across a lot that, you know, uh, that they come to you and they think one thing, but it's really something else. And cause I'd love to address just some, some common misconceptions that are out there. Yeah. I think, um, let me touch on it. The, the, the biggest misconception is what, what the true value of their practice that they've spent mm. decades building is potentially worth and it's it's really mind-boggling when we sit down with a dentist and you know let's say the practice is doing you know a million dollars of ebitda which is a great big practice of course and 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 there's or, or let's just say it's doing five million of collections and they're telling us well i can't sell it for 0.5 times collections even even though the practice is making a million dollars so they they've been given this really poor information about the value of the practice and it's it's actually it's it's surprising um, and, and kind of sad. And once we educate the dentist, that really starts to get them thinking like, okay, wow, what I have been doing besides helping all of these patients for all these decades, like, wow, I really have created some wealth within my own practice beyond the paycheck that I've been getting every every month or every quarter or whatever it is. Hmm. So, so once again, that valuation piece, piece is huge. And, and I see some listeners tuning in. If you've got questions, 
post them down below. We'll get to them live. We'll have David answer them for you. We'd love to serve you in any way and help educate you in any way we can. So take advantage of it. Post your questions down below right now. So how does your firm approach the valuation of dental practices? Yeah, so we, you know, it's it's pretty um, pretty straightforward. You know, once we uh, work with a practice, we get a handful of items, uh, informational items about the practice, obviously financial information, um, you know, type of practice, number of operatories, who does what within the practice, how many patients, et cetera, et cetera. And then we run that through a filter. We do a quick analysis um, and we're able to come back to the to the doctor with some opinions about what we think the value of the practice will be and uh, the reception that the practice will get. Sometimes we have to come back to a practice and say, you know what, um, you know, this is what we found and the practice really isn't profitable enough for, for you to, to make hay. You know, sometimes that's the case. They're not all, they're not all ready to go. Um, so that's how we look at it. And, you know, once, once we come up with an understanding of, again, what the dentist is looking for, financially and from a cultural standpoint with this fit with the DSO going forward, um, we're all guns ablazing in the marketplace. We, we hit the market really hard. Um, we protect the dentist from, you know, having to get on calls that we don't think are going to be worthwhile. And we, we only have serious, you know, serious DSOs kind of go to the next step in the process. Okay. You know what? It, it was interesting when you were talking about that. You mentioned, you know, part of it is is helping the, the doctor really think about what they're looking for culturally and financially and right, what kind of fit they want. How often do you start those questions of asking your doctor, well, what are you looking for culturally or what are you looking in terms of for in fit? And they kind of stare at you blankly and say, I have no idea. Is that is that pretty common? Actually, it's not. And, it, you know, because so most dentists really care and love their teams. And like we have, we just sold a practice uh, here in LA and they're, you know, two dentists, but they, their team has been with them, some of them for 25 years and it's a family and they don't want their family messed with by this, you know, by this new big DSO organization. And so that plays a much larger role than you would think. Hmm. Okay. And are there ways to structure the deal to, to really make sure that, that, that your staff and the, the family and the practice is protected or are those things that can actually be addressed in the negotiations? Yes. Oftentimes we can, because a lot of these people are put on contracts and so that their current comp or if their comp is getting raised, it's locked in. Uh, the benefits are spelled out very clearly because once you become part of the DSO, you become part of their benefits, medical, um, and other. And so all of that is part of the process, the sales process to make sure that the, the not only the dentist, but their teams are well taken care of. Because the last thing anyone wants is for a staff member to say, oh, I don't, you know, I, my, my comp, my insurance is going to cost me more now, or I'm not getting as good of insurance or whatever it is. You, you don't want that. You don't want to lose your people. You want to keep your people. Okay, excellent. Now, right, with, with an M&A advisor, right, is your role strictly coming in, you know, helping find those, find the right buyer, finding the right fit, getting the transaction done, and then stepping away? Or is there still an additional role for you to play after the deal closes? So because there are, um, we mentioned this term earnouts, you know, additional compensation that the doctor can earn um, if they're, you know, based, based on their performance and their team's performance. We tend to keep um, a hand in in it with the DSO and with the dentist to make sure that 
what the DSO agreed to do, they're in fact going to do it. So hmm. we stay in touch with our practices. Uh, we, you know, we have, they, they send us their, their financial performance. Um, we're in touch with the DSOs. It's, it's, it's an ongoing relationship um, to make sure that the deal that we help negotiate is being, you know, respected by all parties. Okay, excellent. Oh, no, that, that's so, so helpful. I, so I know you've certainly been a, a wealth of advice. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly know why you might want to consider selling a practice, even if you're not looking to, to exit dentistry, right? Take some money off the table and, and really de-risk what's going on in your business. You've given us a new way to think about dental enterprises. And uh, I certainly am always excited about the, the future in dentistry. I think it's one of the best careers out there. And so before we sign off, David, how can we get in touch with you? How can we you know, get you to help us with looking at our options for exiting the practice? Yeah, Tim, my partners and I, you know, one thing we really enjoy doing are meeting, meeting dentists. And again, whether they're, they're ready to sell or just starting to think about it, um, we, we like to develop the relationships early. Um, and we, we really have, we, we, we like to educate them. I think we're educators first and foremost at the beginning of a relationship to, to have the dentists understand what the potential is. Um, and then if and when they're ready, we do believe that we can offer them a, a very high level of service and, and really get them what, you know, what they want and what they deserve in the marketplace. And, uh, you know, we're in it for the, we're, we're playing the long game here. So we're developing relationships with dentists, younger and older, um, and would love to meet as many as we can. All right. And how do we get in touch with you? How do we find you? Um, so we have our, my, I can give you my email. It's david at kingsransomgroup.com. A little long, but not hard. Um, we also have a website, uh, kingsransomgroup.com. Uh, you, can, you can reach me at both places. I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, you know, and we, um, the more dentists that we, we meet, we also put out a newsletter called Ransom Thoughts um, about different topics in terms of selling to, to DSOs, uh, the market, what the post-life post-close life for the dentist is a, a, you know, a host of articles that we write just to try to let dentists understand what this really means. Wow. Okay. Excellent. And actually, as you were given your email address, right? King's Ransom, right? Why the name's King's Ransom? I, I, I'm guessing there's a story behind that. I, I wish there was a more exciting story, Tim. So obviously my last name is Kingsdale. Um, I wish I could say I came up with the name, but an investment banker buddy of mine that I've known forever, uh, when I started the company, uh, he said, what are you going to name it? I said, I, I don't know. I'm thinking about it. And he came up with King's Ransom and I really loved it. And, and some people were like, no, King's Ransom, that's not the best name. But other people were like, yeah. And then I started thinking, you know, a King's Ransom for us, that means um, not just a play on my name, of course, which is, is nothing, but how can we really provide a King's Ransom worth of value to all parties that we touch in these transactions? Mm. You know, um, and that's our goal. You know, we want to we want to work with good people. We want to we want to get them what they deserve, um, and we want to have a good time doing it. No, I, I love that. No, right? I, I think it brings out kind of the the fun, the excitement, because you know, if you do all this and you, you reach the end and you're worn out and exhausted and tired and beat up, I'm going to argue you did it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, yeah, you certainly may be a little tired, you may be a little exhausted, but you want to have fun during the process because that's what life is. And, you know, the great thing about entrepreneurship, at least that I find, is a lot of entrepreneurs, 
you don't have to do this. You really don't have to run your dental practice. You're doing it because you want to. You've reached that stage. You've built significant wealth. And, and it changes, just like you've mentioned, right? It becomes about impact. It becomes about serving and not just about, you know, how do I get a bigger bank account? And so, so I love that, that that ethos comes through in, in what you do. Yeah. And so any closing thoughts before we sign off here, David? Um, I just I just want to thank you, Tim. I think that the, the work that you do and, and you know, the, these these things that you do for the community are, are, are really great and really add a lot of a lot of knowledge. Um, and, you know, I want to thank you for having me on. Um, I would like to, uh, in fact, build a deeper relationship with you because, you know, once our job is done at King's Ransom, um, a whole nother uh, episode or chapter of the dentist's life takes hold now that they have a lot of money. And one of the things that we really encourage, and it's not what we do, is that they get with the right advisors to protect what we've helped them, you know, make in these transactions. So I, I really respect what you do and who you do it with. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, dentistry is something I'm, I'm passionate about. I'm married to a dentist and uh, she changed my life. And, and I think it's one of the greatest professions around. I, I love the people I get to meet. And just like you, right, just serving people. And, uh, you know, I find the happiest people are the ones who are solving other people's problems. So thank you for being such a great guest, David. I appreciate it. Thank you, Tim. My pleasure. Appreciate it. All right. We'll see you all again here soon on the Dental Wealth Nation show. Thanks. You've been listening to Dental Wealth Nation. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. Join us next time as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families and help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love. Till next time, make sure to hit the website at dentalwealthnation.com. 